Welcome to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. Discover the best tips, tricks, and travel hacks for your visit to the nation's capital. And now, here's Rob. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. My name is Rob. I'm a tour guide and the founder of Trip Hacks DC Tours. If this is your first time listening, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. Trip Hacks DC is a podcast, YouTube channel, and tour company. My goal is to give you the best tips, tricks, and travel hacks for exploring Washington, D.C. If you want to check out the show notes from this episode, you can do that over at triphacksdc.com slash podcast. And while you're over there, you'll find info about guided tours and more. This is going to be a solo episode, and I'm going to talk about where I think you should stay when you visit Washington, D.C. in 2022 and beyond. When you're planning a trip, where to stay, which hotel, what area... It's all a big decision. It's why one of the first things I did after I started TripHex DC was create a where to stay guide. You can find that guide over at TripHexDC.com slash hotels. Now the problem with lots of travel content that was created pre-COVID is that it may no longer be relevant or up to date. This is something that I struggle with myself with TripHex DC. The good news is that my guide identifies 11 areas where I recommend staying. And I still recommend all 11 of those areas. The less good news is that I think some areas that I used to rank more highly, I now think are a little less ideal, and areas I used to rank lower, I now think are better. So in this episode, I'm going to do a deep dive on the 11 areas. I'm going to tell you about each area, and a few hotels that I recommend in each. After that, I'm going to tell you about some areas where people sometimes consider staying, but that I don't recommend and why I don't recommend them. The areas I don't recommend is podcast-exclusive content. You're not going to get it anywhere else, so make sure to stick around all the way to the end of the episode for that. I'm also going to talk briefly about Airbnb, home rentals, timeshares, and other alternative accommodations that people sometimes ask about. Now, before we get into this, I have to make a few disclosures. The first is that I have actually not stayed in a single one of the hotels that I recommend. Not one. And it makes sense when you think about it. Do you stay in hotels in the city where you live? It's already expensive enough to live in D.C. that I don't need to spend extra money staying in hotel rooms here. So, how can I confidently recommend these places? I rely on you, my tour customers primarily. Almost everyone who comes on a TripHacks D.C. tour, I ask, where are you staying and how do you like it? I have a notes app in my phone where I keep track of all this info. So it's a bit of an imperfect system, but so far it's worked out well. I also have a very good sense of whether a hotel is in a good location or not. And I personally believe that location is of utmost importance when it comes to choosing a place to stay. So I can confidently tell you about that. The second disclosure is that I have no relationship with any hotel in D.C. TripHacks D.C. has no hotel sponsors, no advertisers, I've never accepted a free stay in return for a glowing review, or any other kind of payment, cash or otherwise. My recommendations are based purely on places where I think you will have the best experience. This is actually something I think you need to be careful about when you consume a lot of travel content. A hotel review that was made by someone who got a free night, or whose trip was compensated by a tourism board, those are not honest reviews. They're basically just ads. That's not to say they aren't useful for seeing what a place looks like, but the incentive for the person making it is different from my incentive. The litmus test for me is, would I put my own family in this hotel? 
And in every case for a hotel in my guide, the answer is yes. That said, when you go on triphackcc.com hotels, you will see that the guide uses affiliate links. An affiliate link is a link that, if you use it to book your hotel, I receive a small commission, about 3%. Using these links does not change the price or experience for you at all. The Hotels Guide has choices from all the major brands, Marriott, Hilton, Hyatt, and IHG. I even threw in a few smaller brands as well. At the end of the day, I really don't have anything to gain by steering you to any hotel in particular. Okay, with all that fun stuff out of the way, let's get to my 11 recommended areas. As much as it would make planning a trip easier, in D.C. there is no single best area to stay. Some are better for some people, other areas are better for other people. It depends on the purpose of your trip, what you're trying to accomplish, and a whole bunch of other factors. The first area on the list is downtown Washington, D.C. This is roughly defined as the area from 10th Street Northwest to about 22nd Street Northwest, and as far north as P Street Northwest, and as far south as Constitution Avenue. By the way, if you want a detailed map of my 11 areas, that's online at triphexdc.com slash where to stay, all one word. Historically, I said that if it's your first time visiting D.C., this is the area to stay. Things I like about downtown. It's centrally located. It's walkable to stuff. It's close to all the metro lines, so you have transportation options. It has lots of hotel choices at all price points. It has a decent number of restaurants, coffee shops, CVS stores in case you need to pick something up. There's a Macy's downtown in case you forgot some clothing items and you need to shop for them. At least pre-pandemic, downtown D.C. was having a bit of a renaissance. Unfortunately, since COVID's hit, that's not so much the case anymore. Now, things I don't like about this area. It got hit hard by the pandemic. It's always been kind of a quiet area, but it's now much quieter than it has been in a long time. And if you visited in the past and liked staying downtown, this might be a bit of a letdown. Now, my hotel picks for downtown. First, the Homewood Suites downtown. This is a solid mid-range hotel. If you stay at a Homewood Suites, you'll get a decent-sized room, you'll get a free breakfast. It's just a solid choice. The second is the Residence Inn downtown. Residence Inn is very similar to Homewood Suites. It's the Marriott brand. Homewood Suites is the Hilton brand. And I like it because it's just solid. You can get a free breakfast. And it's very well located. You can walk up 14th Street from Thomas Circle and do all the nightlife along 14th Street and even up to U Street if you really wanted to. But if you didn't want to do any of that stuff, you're still close to the monuments, the museums, all the fun federal stuff. The last one is my splurge option, and that's the Willard. The Willard is a historic hotel. Abe Lincoln stayed at the Willard. Of course, he didn't stay in the same brick and mortar as what's standing on that spot now. The place where Lincoln stayed was long demolished and rebuilt, but I love the Willard. It's so centrally located. It's across the street from the White House. You really can't get a better location. Other hotels you might consider, the Hay Adams. This one would be a huge splurge. It's right on Lafayette Square. It has a rooftop that overlooks the White House, one of the most famous rooftops in Washington, D.C. Another one I've heard of is the Hotel Xena. This is an interesting women's history concept. I'm actually going to be talking to some authors of a women's history book soon, and they talked about we talked about the Hotel Xena in that interview, so stay tuned for that. But that's an interesting hotel that really has caught my eye. And the last one is called Yours Truly. I had a guest recently, 
absolutely rave about this place. I had to look it up. It's rebranded a few times over the years. It was previously a Renaissance hotel and then something else, and now it's yours truly. It also has a location of Call Your Mother right in the hotel. That's a local bagel place that a lot of people really like. Most of the downtown area is office buildings. So there aren't a lot of tourist sites in this downtown area itself. But you are adjacent to many, many tourist sites. There are a couple of private museums in this area. Planet Word is here. Planet Word is a new museum, a museum of language. It's very cool. And the National Museum of Women in the Arts, which is currently closed for renovations but will eventually reopen. Nearby, the next area on the list is around the Washington Convention Center. This is east of downtown on a map. So this one is roughly from 4th Street to 10th Street's northwest and between roughly E and N Street's northwest. A big chunk of this area is also what people would consider Chinatown. Now, D.C.'s Chinatown is different from the Chinatowns in New York City or San Francisco. Most of the Chinese residents, and frankly a lot of Chinese culture, has left. But the neighborhood name remains. Things I like about this area. It's centrally located. Walkable to a lot of things. Close to the museum side of the National Mall. It's a good option if you're going to be attending an event at the convention center. It also has easy access to the green and yellow lines on the metro, if you're going to be riding either of those. It's got a pretty good number of restaurants and nightlife, and I guess I would say it's exciting. It's lively, if that's what you're looking for. It's also close to Capital One Arena, if you're going to be attending a game or you're going to be doing something there, and that's part of your trip. And if there is not a conference happening or a big event happening at the convention center or a game, you can sometimes get pretty good rates in this area. Now, the things I don't like about the convention center area is it also got hard hit by the pandemic. Exciting and lively might not be what you're looking for. This is probably the noisiest of all of my 11 areas, especially 7th Street right around the arena. It can get pretty noisy. It's also less convenient to the orange, blue, and silver lines. I mean, a little less convenient. You can still walk to Metro Center pretty easily from here. And you might have a hard time finding good rates if there's a big event happening at the convention center. My hotel picks for this area, I like the Kimpton Hotel, Monaco. Now, I've stayed at Monaco's in Philadelphia, Baltimore, Chicago, Pittsburgh. This is one of my favorite mini brands. It's quirky. It's fun. I just really like it. Another one nearby is Embassy Suites, Washington, D.C. Convention Center. It's a big conference hotel, but it does have free breakfast, complimentary evening reception, and an indoor pool. And not many centrally located hotels have all three of these, so this one's a bit of a gem in a way. And finally, the Marriott Marquis, Washington, D.C. This is another big conference hotel. I'll be honest, it's kind of soulless, but it's also pretty new, and it still looks shiny. And if you watched my companion YouTube video... The background was inside this hotel. Other hotels here you might check out, Motto by Hilton. This one is formerly the Pod Hotel. It has super small rooms and no frills, but I've had few folks tell me they stayed at the Pod and they really liked it, so this could be a good option, especially if you're a solo traveler or you don't care about the size of your room or frills, you just want a place to sleep. And another one is the Conrad, Washington, D.C. This would be the upscale choice, of course. Conrad, one of the upscale brands in the Hilton there's kind of a lot going on in this area if you choose to stay here. Obviously, Capital One Arena is where the Washington Wizards and the Washington Capitals play. So if there's a home game during your trip, you'll see lots of fans around. The arena also hosts concerts from big-name acts. Next week, Journey is playing in the arena. Next month, we've got Justin Bieber traveling in. Plus, 
all the other standard arena stuff. Beyond the arena, there's Chinatown, which has lots of restaurants and nightlife, though admittedly less than there was pre-COVID. The National Portrait Gallery and Smithsonian American Art Museum are right in this area as well. So is the National Law Enforcement Memorial and Museum. And Ford's Theater is right at the edge of what I was would define as this area. So there's also a flagship Apple store and the DC History Center. If you were comparing this to the downtown area side by side, I would say downtown is better if you want a quieter experience. And the convention center area is better if you want to be close to the action and don't mind potentially a little bit uh, of a little noisier experience. All of that said, these areas were both hit pretty hard by COVID. At the lowest of the lows, downtown hotels were down something like 90% from their peak. And a lot of adjacent businesses closed when downtown office workers went away when they started working from home. I don't think these are my top picks in 2022 for that reason. It's not to say you shouldn't stay here or that you can't stay here and have a great time. It's just not where I might personally choose this year. And who knows, maybe in the future, by the time you find and listen to this episode, that will no longer be the case. But at least for 2022, that is how I feel. Okay, now the third area on my list is The Wharf. The Wharf is a brand new multi-billion dollar development on the Washington Channel. Phase 1 opened in 2017, and Phase 2 is opening later this year in 2022. If I was coming to Washington, D.C. in 2022, as an outsider, I would personally stay at the wharf. This was one of the areas of the city that was least hard hit by COVID, or at least that's how it feels to me. So when you're down at the wharf, things still feel lively and exciting. Things I like about this area, everything feels brand new, including the hotels. And personally, I'm a sucker for staying in brand new or mostly brand new hotels. I like that it has a pretty good location. It's a 20-minute walk to the Jefferson Memorial, a 15-minute walk to the closest Smithsonian Museums. And if you don't want to walk, there's the Wharf Shuttle, which is a free bus that you can ride up to the LaFont Plaza Metro Station, which is on four metro lines, or you can take it all the way up to the museums on the National Mall. It has lots of food and drink options. You will not have to worry about finding food after a full day of sightseeing if you stay at the Wharf. It has high-end restaurants like Del Mar, it has very inexpensive restaurants like Falafel Inc. and pretty much everything in between. And this is all just phase one. We're going to get even more options and more choices once phase two opens. It's also where the water taxi is located. So it's an easy day trip if you wanted to do Alexandria or even Georgetown on the water taxi. And it has fun, but not typically history things to do. So it has things like kayaking. That's fun. It's not what you might think of when you think Washington, D.C., but it's fun. And if you're into concerts, there are three, yes, three concert venues at the Wharf, and they're all top-notch. Now, some things I don't like about this area. It's not super close to Metro. LaFont Plaza is probably about a 15- to 20-minute walk, but it does get you every line except for the red line. There is that Wharf shuttle bus, but I don't know how often it runs, and you might have to stand around and wait for it. I hate standing around waiting for buses. And when there are special weekend events, it gets extremely crowded at the wharf. So that might be a pro for some people, but it's kind of a con for me. And since it's new, people often say it lacks charm or that it feels soulless. I don't necessarily agree with all of this, but if you're the kind of person to describe new developments this way, you might not like staying at the wharf. My hotel picks for this area, the Hyatt House, Washington, D.C., the wharf. This is the budget-friendly option. It's similar to Hyatt Place, but 
The house, I believe, is meant for longer stays. I don't think there are actually minimum stay requirements here, though. The second is Canopy by Hilton at the Wharf. This is usually more expensive than the Hyatt House. Canopy is described as a modern boutique hotel experience, so I guess it's meant to be less corporate and stuffy than, say, a Hilton Garden Inn. And finally, the Intercontinental, Washington, D.C., the Wharf. This is the high-end option. This hotel just looks nice and sleek, both from the inside and the outside. I've been in the lobby. It's very nice. And one other hotel to mention is Pendry. This is opening with Phase 2. It's a luxury brand. I'm really not familiar with it. They're in a few cities, including Baltimore. And location-wise, once it opens, I think it will be great. What the rates will look like, I have no idea. Like I said, this area is probably my top pick in 2022. I'm not sure if that will continue to be the case as downtown comes back, but for now, it is. All right, so now the next area on the list is Navy Yard. This area is officially called Capital Riverfront, but most locals call it Navy Yard, and that's what I'm going to call it for the rest of this episode. Many of the hotels might have Capital Riverfront in their name. Some might have Navy Yard in the name. It's a little confusing. Just a heads up. This is the area around Nationals Park. The geography is defined as South Capitol Street to 4th Street Southeast, and then I-695 Freeway to the Anacostia River. Things I like about this area. Unlike downtown, there are a lot of people who live here. The area is a healthy mix of houses, big apartment buildings, and office buildings. So for that reason, it tended to survive COVID a lot better than other areas that were heavy on the office buildings, but not so much on people who actually live there. The location is fairly convenient. You can walk up New Jersey Avenue and be at the Capitol or the Library of Congress in 15 to 20 minutes. If you're coming in for a baseball or soccer game, Nationals Park and Audi Field are right there, so no need to worry about transportation to or from the game. And even if you're not going to a game, it can be exciting to be around on a game day. The Yards Park is one of the best parks in the entire city. It's got a kid's pool and a spray area, which is quite nice in the summer. And there are a ton of restaurants here, so you won't go hungry or have to worry about finding food after a full day of sightseeing. Many of my personal favorite fast, casual restaurants are here. I'm talking Taquerian, Cava, Swizzler, and Pizza, Rasa, and others. You can walk or take the circulator bus to Capitol Hill or Eastern Market if you want to explore that neighborhood. And there are lots of brand new hotels. And again, I am a sucker for a brand new hotel. Now, the things I don't like about this area. It's only on one metro line, the green line. So when you want to go do stuff that's outside of the immediate vicinity, it's going to take a longer metro ride and probably a transfer, and the way Metro's been running in 2022, that might be frustrating. If you're not a sports fan, game days can be crowded, and potentially even a little exhausting. And similar to the wharf, everything feels new, so if you're the kind of person who looks at new buildings and describes them as soulless, then this might not be the place for you. My hotel picks in this area, the Homewood Suites, Washington, D.C., Capitol, Navy Yard. This is a solid hotel. It's stumbling distance from the metro. Literally, you walk out the door, stumble across the street, and you're in the metro. It's also got free breakfast and free coffee. The Residence Inn, Washington, D.C., Capitol Hill Navy Yard. This is basically the Marriott equivalent to Homewood Suites. Again, similar to downtown, I picked both a Homewood Suites and a Residence Inn. This one is one block from the metro instead of right there. It also has free breakfast. And a new one, the AC Hotel, Washington, D.C., Capitol Hill Navy Yard. This one's brand new, just opened in 2022. It has a rooftop bar called Smoke and Mirrors that looks like it has some amazing views of the Capitol. 
I've heard that AC hotels don't have the nicest rooms, but again, I haven't stayed in them, and it's a brand new hotel. How bad could it really be? So at least for now, this one's one of my picks. Other hotels that I like, the Thompson, Washington, D.C. This is a luxury option in the neighborhood. I believe it's affiliated with Hyatt now. It's got a popular rooftop bar called Anchovy Social, and this one's probably better for travelers without kids compared to the other hotel options. And the Hampton Inn, this is your budget-friendly option. It's literally within view of Nationals Park, and they even have a rooftop bar with views inside the park. However, it's not like Wrigley Field where you can sit up there and watch an entire game. The coolest thing about this area, in my opinion, is that it's still not even fully built out. So if you're listening to this in the future, there will be even more hotel options, more restaurants, more places to hang out. One thing I have to warn about is that the breakneck speed of building here means that if you get advice from people who haven't been here in a while, you might not get great advice. For example, I was just reflecting on the fact that it was 10 years ago that the Washington Nationals made the playoffs for the first time since moving to D.C. They played the Cardinals in the division series, and we won't rehash how that went. But back then, there was basically one bar where you could hang out before a game. Justin's Cafe. Justin's is gone. R.I.P. Justin's. But there are tons of new places that didn't exist a decade ago. So be careful who you get advice from when it comes to this area. And at least ask when the last time they came here was. All right, now back to the northern side of D.C. The next area on my list is DuPont Circle. Geographically, this is the area around the actual DuPont Circle. It's roughly from M Street Northwest to U Street Northwest and 17th Street Northwest to 22nd Street Northwest. For a while, DuPont Circle was the hip area of D.C. It was the gayborhood. It was a place where you came on Friday or Saturday night for nightlife. I think that has kind of dispersed around the city, so it's not really concentrated around here like it used to be. DuPont Circle now kind of has a mix of houses, apartment buildings, and office buildings. It has restaurants and bars and nightlife. Things I like about this area, it has much more of a feeling of staying in a neighborhood versus staying downtown, which feels much more like a city center, or even staying in the wharf, which feels like staying at a resort. And it's got a good mix of restaurants at all price points, so you don't have to worry about finding food around here. Kramer Books is in DuPont Circle. Kramer Books is a DC staple. You've got to check it out if you're staying around here. It's still relatively close to the major tourist sites. You could walk from DuPont Circle to the Washington Monument, for example, in about 30 minutes. You're close to Metro, which you can use to get lots of places, and there's a circulator bus that runs right through the heart of Georgetown if you want to head over there. If you're someone who wants to do the nightlife, you can either walk to Adams Morgan from here or the U Street Corridor from here. Both are big nightlife areas, and it's a quick, easy taxi or Uber ride back afterwards. Things I don't like about this area, since it does have a fair number of office buildings, it was hit by COVID. And you'll find vacant retail spaces as you walk around. Just this month, Bethesda Bagel and Phil's Coffee both announced that they are closing. And these were two of my favorite places. But not necessarily the only places in the neighborhood to get a bagel or a coffee, but still made me really sad to see them both closing. And it's not quite as lively as it would have been pre-COVID. And Metro is only on one line, the red line. So depending on where you're going, it might mean a long ride with a transfer. My hotel picks for this area, the first is the DuPont Circle Hotel. This is right in the center of the action. On the other side of Kramer Books, it's a two-minute walk from the metro, pretty much right in the center of the neighborhood. The other one I like is the Residence Inn, Washington, D.C., DuPont Circle. This is more of the budget-friendly choice, and it's on a very nice block of P Street. It's got free breakfast, very solid. Other hotels, the Washington Hilton, 
This one's a few blocks up from the metro and away from a lot of the action. Uh, it has kind of a soulless corporate vibe, but it's big and it often has inexpensive rooms just because it's huge and not a lot of demand to stay there. I think my advice for DuPont Circle is I might say it's better for someone who has been to D.C. before, maybe stayed downtown their first time, and this time they want more of a neighborhood feel. The next area on my list is what I call Georgetown slash Foggy Bottom. Georgetown is probably the most famous neighborhood in the city. There are over 100 neighborhoods in D.C., but I'd bet that Georgetown is probably the only one, or one of only a small handful, that out-of-town visitors could name. Georgetown is a historic neighborhood. It has beautiful houses. It has cobblestone streets. It has a prestigious university. In the 1960s, it had some of D.C.'s most famous residents, the Kennedys. And honestly, back then... Georgetown really was the neighborhood to be if you had money and you wanted to live in the city, so I understand where it gets its appeal. Now, when it comes to visiting D.C., the reality is that most hotels with Georgetown in their name are not actually in Georgetown. To me, the boundary of Georgetown starts once you are west of 28th Street Northwest. However, most hotels with Georgetown in their name are not west of 28th Street Northwest. They're actually in the Foggy Bottom neighborhood. Which is fine. Foggy Bottom is a fine place to stay. But it's worth saying because if you really want to stay in Georgetown, you need to make sure to actually check the location of your hotel on a map rather than just trust the name that the hotel has assigned to itself. If you want your pick of the highest end hotels, this is where you will find them concentrated. On a few blocks of M Street, you'll find the Ritz-Carlton, Park Hyatt, Fairmount, and Four Seasons. And even though these are all high-end luxury hotels, the Four Seasons is the only official Five Diamond Hotel in D.C. That said, none of these super luxury places are on my recommended list. But first, things I like about the area? Georgetown is old and historic. It's famous. If you're into shopping, there's tons of it. There's plenty of restaurants and coffee. And though it's not really much of a nightlife area anymore at least compared to how it was in the past, there are still places where you can go to get a beer or hang out on the weekend. The waterfront park is beautiful in the summer. It's fun if you have kids. And if you're into activities like kayaking, the Keybridge Boathouse is the most popular boathouse in the city. And it's really just a fun area to take a neighborhood tour because there are so many good stories, so many interesting sites, like the house where Julia Child once lived, and of course, the Exorcist House and Stairs. The things I don't like about this area is, well, first, the area where most of the quote-unquote Georgetown hotels are located has vibes much closer to downtown than Georgetown proper, and you're not really close to any metro station. You could walk to Foggy Bottom or potentially DuPont Circle, but it is a walk, so you'll have to be doing some walking even if you're going to be riding the metro. My hotel picks in this area. First is the Hyatt Place, Washington, D.C., Georgetown, West End. This is a solid, fairly new place. Hilton Garden Inn, Uh, Washington, D.C., Georgetown. This one's right across the street. Again, it's solid, but it's a Hilton Garden Inn, so it's not going to be anything particularly special, but you know what you're getting. And the Washington Marriott Georgetown. I almost removed this from my list this year because right on their website, in big, bold text, it says, stay in the heart of Georgetown, which is not accurate. And that said, it's still a decent choice and a decent location for what it is. They just made me mad about that. If you actually want to stay in the heart of Georgetown. Check out the Graham. This is a boutique hotel. It looks very cool. I actually kind of want to stay here myself. Maybe one day if I ever decide to splurge and get a hotel room, I'll stay here at the Graham. And the other one is the Ritz-Carlton Georgetown. Now be careful because there are two Ritz-Carltons right near each other. 
The other one is the Ritz-Carlton Washington, D.C., which is across the street from the Marriott Georgetown. And again, this is all super confusing because the Marriott Georgetown is across the street from the Ritz-Carlton, Washington, D.C., but then the Ritz-Carlton Georgetown is actually in Georgetown. So again, double-check everything on a map, get the address, plug it into a map. This is especially important if being in Georgetown is something that you want. All right, now the next area on my list is the area around Union Station. I have mixed feelings about this area, and I was even considering dropping it from my recommended guide this year, but I kept it, and I'll explain why. First things first, what I like about this area... Union Station is just a few blocks north of the Capitol, so location-wise, it's great for visiting sites like the Capitol, Supreme Court, the Library of Congress, and the museums on the east end of the National Mall. You can walk for, to quite a few things from here, and there's a circulator bus that goes on the National Mall route, so that's good, easy transportation. There's also another circulator bus that goes all the way through downtown and into Georgetown, and of course, there's Metro at Union Station, so you can catch the red line and go places from there. It's also extremely convenient if you're traveling to D.C. by train or bus in and out of Union Station because you can just walk right out of the station and right into your hotel. The two best Irish pubs in D.C., the Dubliner and Kelly's Irish Times, are both located in this area, if that's something you're into. And it's fairly close to the H Street Corridor, which is another nightlife destination. So if you're into the bar scene, this might be a good place. Now, the things I don't like about this area. Union Station itself can be pretty chaotic. If you're not an experienced traveler or someone who's been through a lot of big train stations, it can feel overwhelming. And there's not a ton of restaurants or nightlife in the adjacent area, aside from the two Irish pubs I mentioned. So everywhere you go to eat or drink, you'll have to walk or take transportation to get to. And for this reason, a lot of people who stay over here wind up eating a lot of their meals inside Union Station, which... I don't really think is a great dining experience. Now, my hotel picks for this area. The first is the Kimpton George. It's another Kimpton hotel. I'm just a big fan of these generally, but I do acknowledge they're not for everybody. So my other one is the Phoenix Park Hotel. This is not part of a major brand. It's a member of Historic Hotels of America, and the Dubliner is the in-house restaurant. I've had plenty of customers who've stayed here over the years, and everybody seemed to like it. Another hotel you might check out is the Hilton Washington, D.C. Capitol Hill. It's an older hotel, but it's right around the corner from the others, so if you can find a good rate here, it might be worth it. I think this area is best for travelers coming in and out of Union Station. And if I was coming in from, say, New York City on a weekend trip, it would be really convenient to come in on Friday morning, go straight from Union Station to one of these hotels, and then on Sunday, right back to the station for my train home. If you're traveling through an airport, I don't really see a huge advantage to this area. If you wound up over here, it would still be okay, but I think there are better options. Okay, and that leads to the last area on my list that's in the city, which is Woodley Park. This is another area that I considered cutting this year, but after further consideration, decided to keep it. The reason I was on the verge of cutting it is because there's really only one hotel left here, the Omni Shoreham. There used to be a second hotel, the Marriott Wardman Park, but that permanently closed during COVID, and the building may be redeveloped and may never reopen as a hotel. Things I like about this area... It's away from downtown. It has a quieter neighborhood vibe, if that's what you're looking for. Woodley Park is a beautiful neighborhood. It has lots of historic buildings, old houses, old trees. It's just very nice and pleasant. And the Omni Shoreham is right at the metro station for getting around. The National Zoo is a short walk away, if that's something you're planning on doing. 
And there's a decent number of restaurants in Woodley Park and even more restaurants one metro stop north at Cleveland Park. Now, the things I don't like about this neighborhood, first is that metro is only on the red line, which limits how quickly you can get to some places. And realistically, you're probably only going to go to the zoo once on a trip. So close proximity to the zoo has limited value. And again, there's only one hotel up here now, and that's the Omnishorum. The Omnishorum is an old historic hotel. It's over 90 years old, and it really is a pretty incredible place. It's hosted inauguration balls for just about every president over the past 100 years. It's a giant hotel. It has over 800 rooms, so it's often used for conferences. And if there's a big conference happening here during your trip dates, I wouldn't count on finding many deals. But on the flip side, if you're coming on dates when there is no event planned at the hotel, you might find some really good deals because they're trying to fill up the rooms. I've stayed at Omni Hotels in other cities, and even though it's kind of a niche brand, I feel like it's one of those brands that you can trust that their hotels are going to be solid. Okay, so that covers all the areas I recommend in the city. But there are a few suburban areas I think are good for visitors as well. They're all in Virginia. Because of the geography of Washington, D.C., Virginia is a lot closer to downtown than Maryland, which is why I actually don't recommend any suburban areas in Maryland. Now, the first area I recommend in Virginia is Crystal City, which they've recently started trying to rebrand as National Landing, so just a heads up on that. Amazon announced a few years ago they were going to open their East Coast headquarters in this area, though I have no idea if that's been delayed due to COVID or not. Crystal City is directly adjacent to Reagan National Airport. So if you're traveling in and out of this airport, it could be a smart choice. Crystal City is close to downtown. You can ride the Metro Yellow Line and be at LaFont Plaza in about 20 minutes. So things I like about this area. It's about as close as you can get to downtown and still be in the suburbs. It has lots of hotel options. There's a system of underground tunnels, which can actually be quite convenient. You can potentially get from your hotel to the Metro and into the city without ever going outside. And on a really hot, humid, miserable summer day, that might be a great perk. If you're driving a car, there are parking garages in this area that tend to be less expensive than the ones downtown. And it feels like this area has a bright future with Amazon investing in the area and other things happening. So things I don't like about this area. First is that it has kind of a closes at the end of the week workday vibe. You know, like at 5 o'clock, everybody kind of goes home and yeah. It's a little lacking in restaurants and nightlife. It's not that there aren't any. It's just that it's much less exciting than some of the areas you'll find in the city. And the area has kind of been hit hard by COVID. You know, I have a doctor in Crystal City, and I went there in 2020, I think in December 2020, and the underground tunnels, they were kind of abandoned and felt pretty eerie. Now, it's better now, but I'm not sure it's a great experience. So if you're listening to this episode in 2022 or even early 2023, listen up because I have some very important information about Crystal City. There is going to be a major construction project on the Yellow Line Bridge starting this fall. That means there will not be Yellow Line trains going from Crystal City to downtown. If you stay here, you can still use the Blue Line, which goes up through northern Arlington and into the city through Foggy Bottom, but it will likely double the amount of travel time or more to get in and out of the city. During the Yellow Line Bridge shutdown, I don't think I can honestly recommend staying in Crystal City. The main benefit to this area, to me, is the quick ride in and out of downtown. And without that, it loses a lot of its appeal. Now, a bit to the north of Crystal City is the second area in Virginia that I recommend, which is the Roslyn-Ballston Corridor, or the RB Corridor for short. This is about a two and a half mile stretch from the Roslyn Metro Station to the Ballston Metro Station. And in between, there are stations in Courthouse, Clarendon, and Virginia Square. 
This is an interesting area because it has some similar vibes to being in the city, like a lot of density and buzz around each metro station. Yet at the same time, it's kind of hard to mistake any area in Arlington for any area in D.C. Each place definitely has a distinct vibe. Things I like about this area. There are a lot of hotel choices very close to metro stations. If you stay close to metro, there's a lot happening. It feels exciting. And you can stay in the suburbs if that's what you want without a distinct suburban feel, meaning, you know, strip malls and highways and that kind of stuff. There's also a lot of places to eat and drink, so you won't go hungry if you stay near a metro station on the RB corridor. Things I don't like about this area, even though it doesn't feel like the deep suburbs, it doesn't really feel like D.C. either. And in most cases, you're not going to be walking into the city, so you'll be reliant on metro for transportation in and out, which means it's especially important to check metro track work schedule if you're planning to stay out here, because if your trip's over a weekend especially, you don't want to get stuck with metro track work. My hotel picks in this area. First is the Hyatt-centric Arlington. This is an older hotel that was recently rebranded and given a bit of a facelift. It's probably not the nicest hotel around, but it's the best located right now next to the Roslyn metro station. Roslyn is on three metro lines, the orange, blue, and silver. So you will have the shortest wait for trains as you have lots of train options. And you could potentially even walk into Georgetown over the Key Bridge if you wanted. Another hotel I like is one... Metro stop down, it's the residence in Arlington Courthouse. This one is at the Courthouse Metro Station, which is only on the orange and silver lines, but it is a solid newish hotel. Another hotel you might check out is the Weston Arlington Gateway. This one's over at the far end of the corridor near the Ballston Metro Station. In the past, I didn't really recommend staying this far out, because once you get kind of far away from the city, it takes a long time to get in and out, and... I changed my mind this year because with the yellow line shut down, I think this might be an okay alternative. There's also a new food hall over here called the Quarter Market at Ballston Quarter, which I've been to and was pretty impressed with. So that could be a fun part of your experience, and it means you'll have some good food options. And finally, we've made it to the 11th and final area. And remember, after this, I'm going to talk about, for the first time, the areas that I don't recommend. So make sure to stick around for that. This final area is Old Town Alexandria. And honestly, this one's kind of tricky. Alexandria is a suburb of Washington, D.C. It's an amazing, historic area. It's a fantastic place to live. However, for visitors, it's kind of far from the city. Lots of people who come to D.C. and stay downtown will take day trips to Alexandria. So my typical advice is, if you think you're going to spend more than half of your time in Alexandria or the surrounding area, stay in Alexandria. If the purpose of your trip is to spend time in D.C., choose one of the other 10 areas. In 2022, you also have to contend with that yellow line bridge shutdown later this year, which will make this area even less attractive for DC visitors. What do I like about this area? It's cute. It's historic. It feels like a welcoming place. It has vibes very similar to Georgetown, if that's what you're looking for. And there are a decent number of hotel options, but you have to be careful about exactly where your hotel is located. There's a ton of places to eat and drink, so you will never go hungry. And Alexandria has its own unique sites and attractions, like the Waterfront, the Torpedo Art Factory, and the National Inventors Hall of Fame. It's also halfway to Mount Vernon, if that's part of your trip itinerary. Things I don't like about this area? Well, it's fairly far from D.C., and you're going to spend a lot of your trip commuting if you go in and out of D.C. every day. The metro station is on the far end, not the middle, of Old Town. So if you pick a waterfront hotel, you could potentially be over a mile from the metro station itself. But if you pick a hotel at the metro station, then you're over a mile from the attractions on the waterfront. So it's a trade-off. 
My hotel picks for this area first is the Hilton Alexandria Old Town. This is the closest hotel to the Old Town Metro Station. You could stumble out of the hotel and be at the Metro Station in about one minute. And the other is the Embassy Suites by Hilton Alexandria Old Town. This one's around the corner, a few minutes walk from the Metro, but it's a practical hotel. It has a free breakfast, complimentary evening reception, just a solid choice. And another one you might look into, the Hotel Indigo Old Town Alexandria. If your destination is Alexandria, not D.C., then this is where I would probably pick to stay. This is a newish hotel. It's on the waterfront and honestly just looks really cool. However, it's over a mile from the metro station, so that could be a pretty big con. But wait, you might be thinking, what about the water taxi? It's true that the water taxi is a transportation option if you're staying on the waterfront side of Old Town. However, what I think a lot of people don't realize is that water taxi is actually quite expensive. The ticket prices vary depending on the day of the week and whether you book a round trip or a one-way or if it's a weekday or a weekend, but best case scenario, you're looking at about $10 per person per way. So for a family of four, that's $80 round trip. Now, maybe that's a splurge worth making, but it's much more expensive than Metro. And typically, I think people use water taxi for a day trip because it's part of the experience, but using it to commute every day, it really does start to add up. And at least at the time I'm recording this video, Water Taxi does not operate every day of the week. It's also seasonal, and it closes in the winter. So if you're going to be relying on it for transportation, make sure to do the research and confirm that it's running on the dates that you need it. There is also the King Street Trolley, and this is actually a great amenity. It's a free bus, and it runs the length of King Street. So even if you're staying at the waterfront, you can get over to the metro station on the trolley. The one disadvantage to this is that you do have to wait for the trolley, and with metro frequencies the way they are now... If you get unlucky with the timing, you might wind up doing a lot of waiting. First for your trolley, then for your train, and I don't know, that's just not a great way to spend a trip in my opinion. Weighing all these pros and cons, I think if you want to stay in Old Town Alexandria, a hotel close to the metro station is probably the best bet. Okay, whew, now we've exhaustedly covered all 11 areas. So let's move on to the areas that I don't recommend. This is podcast-exclusive content that you're not going to find on YouTube or TripHexDC.com. Technically speaking, any area that's outside of the 11 that I do recommend is an area that I don't recommend. But I wanted to talk about a few in particular because they're the ones that people will email me and say, I know this isn't on your list, but what do you think about X, Y, or Z area anyway? Let's start with National Harbor. Despite the name, National Harbor is not in Washington, D.C. It's in Maryland and not even particularly close to D.C. It's actually across the Potomac River from Old Town Alexandria. However, unlike Old Town Alexandria, there's no metro station over here. Transportation options for getting in and out are quite limited. National Harbor does have a lot of stuff going on. It's not an objectively bad place to be. There's a bunch of restaurants, there's a Top Golf, a Ferris wheel, and the MGM Casino, which could be a pro or con depending on your feelings about casinos. The best-known hotel here is the Gaylord National Resort, which is basically a mini convention center. And if you're coming here on a business trip for a convention, by all means, stay at the Gaylord or one of the hotels near the Gaylord. But if you're coming in for a vacation to D.C., this is not really a great choice. The biggest issue I have with this area is transportation. To get into D.C. by public transportation, you have to take a bus, which winds through National Harbor, across the Wilson Bridge, and then through Alexandria. This could easily add 30 minutes each way to an already long commute in and out of D.C. To me, once you're spending over an hour each way getting in and out, it's no longer worth it. National Harbor does have water taxi. This is an option, 
but it comes with the same pitfalls I mentioned a few moments ago. And yes, there's Uber, but during COVID, Uber prices started going up, and it seems like they're still up. So you've got to factor that in. Plus traffic, which pre-COVID was always awful, and it could well return that way soon enough. The bottom line on National Harbor is, if you're here for business, it's okay. If you're here for a trip to D.C., it's not so great. The next area I don't recommend is New York Avenue Northeast. This is a pretty gritty industrial area. New York Avenue itself has a ton of fast-moving traffic, and it's not walkable. This is where you'll find a lot of very budget brands, like Quality Inn, Fairfield Inn, and Days Inn. Hotels in this area used to append Union Station onto their name, so you have to be careful with that. The big issue with this area is lack of transportation. You're far from any metro station, and because New York Avenue is so unpleasant to walk, you can't really walk anywhere. Now, I have to caveat this by saying that there is a metro station on New York Avenue Northeast called Noma, and quite a few newer hotels have popped up around here. This area actually has the most number of new hotels opening in 2022. I strongly considered adding this little area around the metro station to my recommended guide this year, because it's clearly on the uptrend, but I decided to keep it off for now. I may still add it next year, though. Noma has kind of an odd development pattern, where a lot of apartment buildings and office buildings got built, but there weren't a lot of restaurants or bars that opened at the same time. So while it might be a fine area to live, it was always, in my book, kind of a less-than-ideal area to stay for a vacation. That said, the nearby Union Market is really booming, and I'm keeping my eye on that area to see all of what opens this year, and I may potentially add some hotel recommendations in the future. Another area that people ask me about that I don't explicitly recommend is the area just south of the National Mall. That's the area that's right below the Air and Space Museum and the American Indian Museum. There are quite a few hotels in this area, including several newer ones. There's a Hyatt Place, a Citizen M, a Residence Inn, and a Holiday Inn. This area is actually very close to a lot of tourist sites and museums, but the reason I'm reluctant to recommend it is because the area is just dead after 5 p.m., in episode 30 of this podcast, my guest, Doug McKnight, talked about how his family stayed in this area last July, and how the most disappointing thing about the trip was that how there was almost nothing nearby to eat. And this is how they wound up eating several meals at McDonald's, which is kind of a bummer, if I have to say. He also said that one reason they picked this area is because the hotel where they stayed could accommodate five people. But if they didn't have five people, they probably would have picked a different area. This area is really ideal for someone who wants to be extremely close to the museums and the National Mall, but does not care about anything happening after 5 p.m. Now, let's go back out to the suburbs. If you're looking at a hotel in the suburbs, a huge red flag for me is any hotel that advertises a metro shuttle. If a hotel says they have a metro shuttle, it means that they are not within walking distance of a metro station. And the shuttle is usually just a hotel van that doesn't run a continuous loop. You usually have to call the hotel and ask to get picked up. And depending on how busy the staff is, you might not get picked up right away. So giving the staffing challenges that a lot of hotels have had this year, I would not want to rely on this. And one last thing I'll say is that my recommended areas skew heavily towards those that are close to major sites. And there's a reason for this. I've had the debate plenty of times with people who argue that it's better to stay way out in the suburbs, way out at the end of a metro line, and commute in. Usually, this is followed up with something like, hey, I commute every day back home, and I don't mind. And I believe you, that may very well be true, but 
Think about it another way. I eat almost all of my meals at home, and I don't really go out to eat all that often in D.C. But just because I eat ham and cheese sandwiches every day for lunch doesn't mean I want them on vacation or that that's a great option when I'm on a trip. One of the best things about being on vacation, in my opinion, is taking a break from the grind of everyday life. And to me, commuting is truly a grind. Whether you're used to it or not, it's still not pleasant. And I recognize there are some people who I will never see eye to eye with when it comes to commuting versus staying in town. And that's okay. Everyone has their own travel style and preferences. What I'm trying to do with the recommended guide and all of my Trip Hacks DC content is help the broadest number of people. And that's how I think about it, and that's how I approach all of this. Okay, now so far we've talked exhaustively about hotels, but I know there are other accommodation options out there, so let's talk about those briefly and why I don't generally recommend them. The first is the big dog, Airbnb. I personally do not like Airbnb. I do not stay at Airbnb when I travel, and I don't recommend it to visitors who come to D.C. And if you want the nitty-gritty details about why I don't use it when I travel, I covered that all in episode 34 of this podcast. My travel preferences aside, the reason I don't recommend it to folks who are traveling to D.C. is because it's a matter of risk. Airbnb is riskier than a hotel, and it's riskier for several reasons. The first is that there are just a lot of illegal Airbnbs in D.C. What is an illegal Airbnb? It's a place that's listed on Airbnb by a person who does not have permission to list it. Maybe it's their own apartment or condo that they pay rent for, but it doesn't mean they're allowed to put it up on Airbnb. For example, I live in a condo building. The bylaws of the condo association are crystal clear. You cannot list your condo on Airbnb. Before I lived here, I was in a big apartment building, and the lease was similarly crystal clear. Only the person whose name is on the lease is allowed to stay there without permission from the landlord. And guess what? Despite this, people in both my current building and my former building put their places on Airbnb anyway. Why? Probably because they thought they could get away with it. They figured no one would find out, or no one would care enough to enforce the rules. Now, think about this from the perspective of a traveler. You book an illegal Airbnb. Maybe you don't even know it's an illegal Airbnb. And then, a week before your stay, the host has some rowdy guests who cause a bunch of disturbances, upset the neighbors, and the landlord gets a bunch of complaints. The host gets in trouble for illegally listing on Airbnb and is forced to cancel all future reservations that are on the books. As a traveler, now you're stuck. You've got to scramble to find a new place to stay at the last minute. Not ideal. It's really hard to identify illegal Airbnbs, so it's not just as simple as saying, well, I just won't book any that are like that. I mean, yes, there are red flags that you should look out for, but it's hard, even for someone like me who knows all the red flags to look for. The other type of risk you face when it comes to Airbnb is the risk that something goes wrong with the place and there's nobody there to fix it. In episode 26 of this podcast, I interviewed my friend Chris Rainey, and we talked about his tips for booking hotels. He mentioned in the episode that he doesn't really do Airbnb when he travels, and he said a big reason for that is, when you go to a hotel, if there's something wrong with your room, there's either someone on site who comes and fixes it, or you go down to the front desk, tell them there's a problem, and they move you to a new room. Now, imagine you booked an Airbnb, and the person who stayed right before you broke the shower. If you arrive, and there's a broken shower, there's no maintenance person on site. There's no other Airbnb they can just move you to. The host might not even live in town. A lot of Airbnbs are now owned and operated by people who live in another city or country entirely. Those are some of the risks that come with Airbnb. And you might say, well, okay, Rob, that's fine. Those are risks I'm willing to take. 
On episode 19 of this podcast, I interviewed Jocelyn Walters of Walters World, and we talked about this. Unlike Chris, her family does book these when they travel, and yes, they do have some horror stories. But they're also experienced travelers who are willing to take the risk, and they know how to adapt if needed. You really have to just be honest with yourself here and ask, can I handle the worst case scenario? The truth is, whether you're staying at a Ritz-Carlton or the Hampton Inn or an Airbnb, there is always a risk that something could go wrong. The risk is never zero. It's just that the risk with Airbnb is a lot higher. All right, let's talk about another type of accommodation, hostels. I am actually pretty ignorant when it comes to hostels, I have to be completely honest. A lot of hostels, at least historically, were called youth hostels because they were intended for young travelers without kids or families who had very limited budgets. Think a teenager just graduated high school who's backpacking through Europe before college or something like that. A hostel is, I guess, most similar to a dorm room, meaning a lot of shared stuff. You don't get a lot of privacy. In some hostels, you might sleep in the single room with multiple other people. And in other hostels, the rooms might be called private rooms, where you don't sleep in the room with anyone else, but you still share a bathroom. Hostels also tend to be more social places where you're supposed to meet other travelers and make friends and stuff like that. I've never really stayed in hostels myself, but I have watched a decent number of travel vlogs on YouTube and have seen a variety of different types of hostels. To me, these are okay if you're a solo traveler, maybe if you're a couple with no kids. I don't know if I've ever seen young kids in a hostel, and I'm not sure they would be a great option if you do have kids. So since the primary audience for Triphacks DC is traveling families, I don't really think much about or talk about hostels. If you're a solo traveler or a couple on a budget, this might be a great option. I know DC does have some hostels, but I know very little about them, so you'll probably have to consult hostel groups for info about how to identify good ones from bad ones. Another alternative type of accommodation is timeshares. I don't know much about timeshares myself. I know the timeshare sales industry has a terrible reputation for being abusive, and my phone number has wound up on the cold calling list for a few of these companies before, and I know they are extremely aggressive. But the one I hear about the most is Club Wyndham. My understanding is that Club Wyndham is different than other timeshares because unlike buying into a single property, you buy into the club and then you're allocated points that you can then redeem at whichever properties you want. The problem with Club Wyndham is that in D.C. there are no properties in the city and there are only two properties in the metro area where you can redeem your points. And they are the Club Wyndham Old Town Alexandria and the Club Wyndham National Harbor. And based on what I've already covered in this episode, you know the Alexandria location is the one where I recommend staying, but with a ton of caveats. The Alexandria location also typically has way less availability and books up way faster. So I know a lot of people wind up at the National Harbor location because that's literally their only choice. There's also a similar Hilton Grand Vacations timeshare program. They only have one property in D.C., but it is in the Georgetown slash Foggy Bottom area, so it's much better located than the Wyndham ones. I don't know. In both cases, the number of properties you have to pick from is so limited, and these timeshare programs just don't seem like a great deal to me, but if it's what you've got, it's what you've got, so that's what I think about it. All right, so that about covers it. A comprehensive and exhaustive overview of all the areas where you can stay in D.C., the ones that I like and the ones that I don't like. Since I don't have a guest, I'll go ahead and wrap this up by plugging Triphacks DC. If you liked this episode, there are over 30 other podcast episodes that you can listen to. And as of recording time, there are about 220 Tripex DC videos on YouTube. And I am still doing live walks around the city, so feel free to watch out for those and tune in and join me for one. And of course, when you actually come to DC, 
If you want me to show you around when you get here, you can sign up for a TripHex DC private tour. And as I often say, enjoy your trip. Thanks for listening to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. To see the show notes from today's episode, get additional resources for planning your trip, or to book a Trip Hacks DC guided tour, visit triphacksdc.com.